Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. moments to just set a platform for what I want to share with you today. We've spoken over the last few weeks, and, and by the way, let me just start by saying this. I am so blessed and so enamored and so in awe when I think back on the words that God has been speaking over the spiritual family since the beginning of this year, since the end of last year, I just see how he builds line upon line and precept upon precept, how we can see that there's such a beautiful and a clear flow of grace that God is bringing us into. You know, I remember coming into this year, it was a year of next steps. Do you remember that? That hasn't changed, by the way. I haven't, God hasn't forgotten about that prophetic vision that He cast, nor have I. But it's quite clear that the next step He's calling us to is a next step of action, of doing something, of stepping out of our comfort zone. We've been speaking the last few weeks about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to do what we cannot do ourselves, all within the context of rediscovering the message of the gospel. I think that's fantastic. I just see how those all work together, how those all pull us into taking next steps by the power of the Spirit to see this glorious message come to greater fruition in and through our lives. Amen? Last week we spoke about the Spirit of love. It was Pentecost Sunday. And when God poured out His Spirit upon His people, He poured out His love upon His people. It caused them to go beyond themselves. Very much, I think, some of them were stuck in a position saying, this is going to be our liberation. This is going to be our time where we're going to stick it to the Romans. And yet when the Holy Spirit came upon them, persecution came, they were scattered. But yet wherever they went, something happened. The church grew. That life, that love that was within them began to perpetuate itself in and through their lives. The communities they were in became touched by this message. And today we sit thousands of years later and there's hardly a corner of the world left today that has not been in some way or form touched by this message. The Holy Spirit of, of, of God's love has a way of working within you and I when we allow Him to, to bring about life not just in us and for our own benefit, but transformation in our lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our communities, cultures, societies, nations. We said last week that the Church of Jesus Christ is the only organization in the world that exists primarily for the sake of its non-members. We, we are here week in and week out to be filled and encouraged to go out. We are here to be refueled as you would your car so that you can get to the destinations and have something to share and be empowered by being together in the presence of God. You see, this is not just a, a thing in and of itself that we come to and it's our little Christian club. We're here week after week to celebrate our King, to hear what He would say to us so that we may be empowered to go. Amen? That is the very mission of our church, is to equip the saints for works of ministry, works of service. And so if this is true, then this ought to be reflected in our lives. You know, God desires that every person you meet come into a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Paul writes this, and he says this to Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So he's saying, pray. I want you to pray. Pray for all people. 
Pray for the kings who are, and those who are in high positions. So pray for your government. Pray for your boss. Pray for those who carry a measure of your pastors. Pray for those who carry authority. That we may lead peaceable and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It's verse 4, who desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen? So that's clear. God desires for all men to be saved. God so loved the world. Not parts of the world, not bits and pieces, not his favored ones, not his ones of this color or his ones who have this much money. God so loved the world, the whole shebang all of his creation, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, not just whosoever does, believes and is of this, what, or these caveats and these little, no, whoever believes, whoever believes, shall not perish but have everlasting life. God desires for all people to be saved. Let me ask you a question. Are all people saved? Obviously not. No, not all people are saved. And so you and I have got work to do, amen? Because God desires for all people to be saved, right? And Jesus gives his disciples this wonderful commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But he also goes on to say, whoever does not believe will be condemned. So despite the fact that God desires for all men to be saved, it's clear that he knows because he has given mankind free will, not everyone will be. And so we need to understand that as disciples of Jesus Christ, as those called upon to go out and share this blessed message, that our measure of success is not soul saved. We do not measure our success or our fruit in how many people we've won to the Lord. That is his business. We measure our success by our obedience to Christ. We measure our fruit by the willingness to go, by the willingness to share, by the trust we have in him that as we do so, as Paul said, that this power, that, that this gospel message is the very power of God unto salvation. And we present that in obedience. And we leave the rest up to him. Amen? You cannot save anyone. No matter how articulate you may be, or gifted, or beautiful, you can't save anyone. Jesus can. All he asks you and I to do is to preach the message. You see, if getting people saved was the measure of success, then God's not really very successful, is he? Because he wants everyone to be saved. What about Jesus? Let's look at one of my favorite stories. There's so much in the story. It comes out of the book of Mark, the version I'm going to read to you today, chapter 17. And we know this is the story of the rich young ruler. Now, as he was going out on the road, this is Jesus, one came running and knelt before him, asking him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He didn't come walking up to Jesus. This man came running. He kneeled in front of him in an attitude of reverence. And he says to him, good teacher, what must I do? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. It's interesting. Jesus didn't mention anything here about covetousness. 
There was something in this man's heart that he, he left out. And the man said, I've been perfect in all of those things you've said. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love those words. I love those words because Jesus looked at this man who was clearly for all to see sincere and enthusiastic. And when he looked at this man, Jesus could see through what the veneer was. And we'll see why because he just about, he's about to confront the area of this man's life that is going to be a stumbling block to him. But Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And those words to me have always just been so special. You know, sometimes we get things so wrong we don't quite understand. Sometimes there's those around us who are getting things so wrong. Are we able to just look at them and love them as they are, in the state that they are in? Love them. And then from that state, speak truth in love to them. And then he said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And his disciples were astonished at these words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In his commentary, The Enduring Word, David Guzik says on this verse, Riches present a difficulty because they tend to make us satisfied with this life instead of longing for that which is to come. That's why Jesus said it's more uh, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. They have a longing within them, driven by their need, that those who have wealth don't very often, very seldom have. And they were greatly astonished, the disciples, and said among themselves, well, then who can be saved? Because in their mind, the blessing, wealth, was a, a symbol of God's blessing and God's favor. So God's blessing you to keep you out of the kingdom. This doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. All things are possible. All things. Why? Because God desires for all to be saved. You see, Jesus loved this young man. But he didn't win him. At least not there. We don't know what happened to him afterwards, you know. Sometimes people have things that happen later on in their lives and they remember the words or a prayer that somebody spoke and that was it. We don't know the final, how the story ends for this rich man. But we know that in that moment he turned away and we know that Jesus did not chase after him. Jesus didn't go, no, 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 come back, come back. Let's talk, we'll make a deal. Jesus let him go. But Jesus also didn't write him off. There are many scriptural examples about wealthy people who do come into the kingdom. We have Zacchaeus. We have Joseph of Arimathea. Barnabas was a wealthy man. Cornelius. Matthew, Jesus' disciple, was a tax collector. All these left their wealth to follow Jesus. They weren't bound by it. So it's true that this doesn't necessarily have to be a stumbling block. But the point that I want to make to you here is that you and I ought not to lose 
hope or lose heart. Remember last week we spoke about the spirit of love, the Holy Spirit working in us, that as we see those around us and as there's a hardness of heart in them, perhaps like this rich young ruler, well, we've maybe tried to reach out, we've tried to give acts of kindness, we've tried to forgive, we've tried to build relationship, we've tried to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Holy Spirit tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that love never gives up, it never loses faith, it is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. It's easy sometimes for us to think, you know people, I know people like this, and you look at them and you go, God, I know all things are impossible for you, all things are possible for you, but this, this one looks like a challenge even for you. I don't know how you're going to break through on this one. Because I, I, I've just tried to open the subject and, geez, Louise, my cheek is still stinging from the door that was slapped in my face. It's interesting to notice that this man's response to Jesus didn't deter him from sharing the message of the gospel. He acknowledged that it was harder for some to come to faith than it was for others. He acknowledged that. Some people, folks, have been deeply hurt and wounded. And the reason they struggle to come into the kingdom of God is not because the world has hurt them. It's because the church has hurt them. Religion has hurt them. Most of the people that I know that I am trying to reach out to have this as an issue. The church proclaims one thing, but this is what the people did to me. How do you marry those two up? And you can't. But I maintain hope that with men, that hurt or that wound will never be fully healed with a man. Nothing's going to take away that memory that has been scarred on their soul. But with God, all things are possible with the self of His Word and with the ointment of His Spirit, all things can be healed. So I don't lose hope. But the one thing we do see in Jesus as we study His life is that He maintained a lifestyle of devotion to overcoming the struggle in other people's lives through faithful and consistent prayer. You know, it's very interesting for me in, in John 17 where Jesus is praying for His disciples, for you and I, and for Himself. And He says, Father, for their sake I sanctify myself. I have set myself apart. That doesn't only mean prayer, but it certainly includes prayer. And so what I want to talk to you this morning about is that while it may seem impossible for you and me and that some of those around us could come to salvation with God. All things are possible. And what we need to wrestle with is not so much getting people saved, but rather the obedience to enter into this great commission. To enter into. Would you say that with me? Enter into. How do we enter into this concept of working with God that He may work in and through our lives to reach the lives of others, it begins in the place of prayer. And I want to talk to you about this morning is what happens when we begin to pray for others. 
That's a long time to set up a platform for what I really want to share. I hope you guys don't have anything in the oven. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Entering into this arena of the Great Commission, of praying for others, of following the leading of the Holy Spirit, for those who have not done it, for those of us who are not accustomed to it because it has not been modeled to us or because it's not been expected of us or because we've just not engaged with it on a regular basis, we perhaps don't have this, you know, this idea that it's expected of me. Maybe that's for them. They're pastors. They're in full-time ministry. But me? No, no. How do we shift out of that mindset? How do we begin this journey of engaging and enter into this great commission? Folks, I want to say to you today, it begins in the area of prayer. Just like anything in your life that needs to be birthed by faith, it is birthed in the area of prayer. Where is spirit of generosity birthed? In the place of prayer. Where is humility before God birthed? In the place of prayer. Where is obedience birthed? In the place of prayer. And so for me to say to you, folks, you need to go and minister to this many people, you need to go knock on doors, you need to go share this. How does that, where do I start? How do I begin? You begin in the place of prayer. You see, folks, anything that we try to do for God, or even in His name, that is not birthed and led by His Spirit, is running on flesh fumes. It doesn't have the power in it to produce the results we desire. It doesn't. So where do we begin? God is very clearly putting His finger on this subject, folks. So let's take the subject to the Lord and say, Father, would you talk to me about it? Now, I want to share with you a few things that happens when we begin to pray for others. Number one, our hearts change. <laughs> our hearts change. We begin to see others from God's perspective. I'm reminded of 1 Samuel 16, where, the, where, the, where Samuel the prophet goes to anoint the next king of Israel, and uh, he goes to Jesse's house, and he sees these big strapping men, and he's about to anoint somebody, and God says, whoa! And this is what it says, the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. I had a meeting with somebody a few weeks ago, and in that meeting I came away with a completely different perspective. Because in that meeting, God changed my heart concerning that person. I saw them in a whole new light. You know what's happened? My heart has just gone, doors wide open to that person. A little bit skeptical before maybe, not quite sure, looking for the eggshell. Don't step on any. But when you get God's perspective, you're free. You're free to love. You're free to be. And you're free to see things and to engage with somebody according to the truth. Not according to what they project, because sometimes we project something that is not true, right? When we pray for somebody, God changes our hearts. We begin to develop a love for those who we consistently pray for. God's love. Why is that? It's because your affection follows your investment. Let's just do that with money. Your affection follows your investment. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Now, when you begin investing time in prayer, what happens? Your affection will follow your investment. You will begin to develop a love, a sincere care for the well-being of that person 
you are praying for. It's not fake. It's not just an emotion. God will begin to move your heart as you begin to... And then as He moves your heart, He will begin to give you His perspective concerning that person so that you can pray effectively. You can pray specifically for that person, for the specific needs that they may have. Number two, praying for others reminds us that we are an example to them. When I begin to pray for somebody else who I am engaging with on a regular basis, I am reminded that they are watching me. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a representative. I am a representative of Christ in that person's life. And God is making His appeal to that person through me. Look at that. God making His appeal through us. So in other words, the way I treat that person is my, are my actions and is my attitude the appeal of God? Is it, is it encapsulating that? Is it reflecting that? And so he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Is everything I'm doing, is the way I'm engaging with that person, communicating that wonderful love, that wonderful message that God is calling out to you? So the second thing that happens is we're reminded that we are called to be an example. When I engage with you now, I'm now on a mission to represent Christ. I may not say anything to you, but I am now aware that something more is at play here because I've been praying, and there's something at work in this situation, and God is able to use me in it, and I am engaged. Number three, praying for others inspires us towards acts of kindness. God will begin moving in your heart and show you ways to show kindness, love, affection, grace. James 2, 14 to 17, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, Heidi Baker made a statement years ago. Heidi Baker is a missionary. She comes out of the United States. She was a missionary to Mozambique. She worked up in the northern parts where um, a lot of the genocide was taking place. And her mantra for life was that love looks like something. Love looks like something. Faith looks like something. And when love and faith, love and faith works together. Did you know that? The Bible talks about faith working by love. Our love for them it causes us to pray. Our faith in God causes us to love. And the two work together. But both love and faith without corresponding action are simply good intentions. So when we begin to pray for somebody, God begins to inspire us towards acts of kindness in which we can demonstrate His love and put our faith into action for the soul of that person through acts of kindness not just lip service, not just meetings. But you find out they're sick, go home and make them some soup, some chicken soup and nice bread and go and deliver it to them. And just say, we wanted, I heard you weren't well, just wanted to bless you. Such a simple little act. Such a small thing. You hear that something in their life is going wrong or they've got a trial or a struggle and you know somebody who might help, 
I just want to connect you with this person because they might be able to help you. Or can I assist you in this area? I've got some expertise. Whatever the case may be, as you begin to pray for somebody, God will lead you into how you may show acts of kindness towards them. Now, have you noticed that the first three aspects of praying for others actually has a heck of a lot more to do with dealing with ourselves and, and getting over with ourselves than it actually has to do with other people? Why? Because this is the very barrier that we face in trying to reach out to others. The only barrier you and I have is ourselves. We need to deal with ourselves. We've got to overcome ourselves, our own insecurities, our own fears, sometimes our own arrogance or self-centeredness. How do we deal with these things? Not by sheer willpower, but in prayer. As we begin to take our eyes off ourselves, set them on others in the place of prayer, God begins to work. Philippians says He works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. So then let's carry on to a few more things. The fourth thing that happens when we begin to pray for others is that God begins to open the way for the light of the gospel to be revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Folks, it is not God who has rejected these people. It is the enemy who has blinded them. Did you get that? God desires for all to be saved. There is a doctrine out there that says, no, God has chosen some and He's rejected others just because He is sovereign. In other words, God, will, a loving God would create somebody for the specific purpose of condemnation to hell. That is incongruent with the nature of who God is. Yes, God knows from the very beginning who will and won't accept Him, but His heart is love and He gives opportunity to each and every one. He is faithful in that. It is not God who has rejected or blinded them. It is the God of this world, Satan, who through his ideologies, who through his uh, uh, masquerading as an angel of light, leads people astray. He dresses up agendas, uh, a, a, an agenda of being compassionate so that we can rather embrace sin than deal with it. These are, this is the way he works subversively. And when we begin to pray... We pray that the truth and the light of God's Word enters into dark places and brings revelation and understanding. Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And it's not just a mental thing that we wrestle against with some people. Some people think they know so many things. And you can get into long debates and arguments with them that go nowhere, just round and round in circles. Why? Because the problem is not a mental one, nor is it a physical one. It's a spiritual one. Our battle is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. What does darkness try to do? You know, we, we, we talk, darkness is ignorance. That's why when you have, you call, have a bright idea. Did you ever have a dull idea? Well, I've had a few, let's be honest. Okay. But the whole idea of light means revelation. It means knowledge. It means understanding. Sometimes I have what I think is a bright idea. But then in the brightness of my wife's wisdom, I realize it was just a very dull idea. Our battle is against the hosts of spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. 
This is where we're waging our war, folks. Our war is not against people. It's not against governments. It is against spiritual hosts that maintain a stronghold in people's minds. And when we pray, we begin to come against the spirit of ignorance and deceitful ideologies. Light begins to shine. Let me move on. Number five, we co-labor with Christ in the work that He has given us to do. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. We come into the flow of His intercession. We come into that flow of He is praying not just for the saints, but He is praying for the world. And we come into that flow. And every one of us has a part to play in this. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9 says this. Paul is writing to them. He says, Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. It's, important. it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants the seed or the one who waters the seed has the same purpose. Both will be rewarded for their work, for we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. Folks, when you begin to pray, you are co-laboring in the same process. You are tilling the ground for the seed. You are tilling the ground for the seed. You are preparing that ground in the, in the area of prayer, so that when a seed is sown, it can fall on good ground. You begin tilling that ground in the Spirit. Number six, <coughs> angels are commissioned. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless me, Lord, uh, bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. When we begin to pray, angels beget, begin to be commissioned, to be sent, to answer our prayers. We see this in Daniel. He prayed for wisdom. The angel was dispatched. When you begin to pray, those hosts of wickedness that we were speaking about in the heavenly places, angels are dispatched to go and break, a line, break through the line. Agent, angels are dispatched to, to go and change circumstances, to cause things to take place in the spirit realm, in the heavenly realm, so that those uh, 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 veils, if you like, of darkness can be dismantled one clip at a time or torn one thread at a time by the angels who go and work on, on behalf. They ride on the wings of your prayer. They are sent by your prayers. And finally, when we begin to pray for other people, coincidences happen. I want to play you one of my favorite little videos concerning this, a little, a little story concerning this. It's by a guy called J. John. He is a Greek Cypriot evangelist, and he tells, I might have played this for you before, and if I have, forgive me, but I have watched it probably a dozen times and love it even more every single time. Today, would you play this little clip for us, please, about what happens when we begin to pray for other people? There was a, a family that had acquired a little new kitten, and they were playing with their new kitten in the garden, and the kitten went up a tree, and it got stuck between two sharp branches, and it couldn't get out, and it was in a lot of distress. And the family tried to get to the little kitten, but because of all the branches, it was very difficult to get to it. But the father was a pastor, and he was always coming up with great ideas. So he says, don't worry, daddy to the rescue. I'm going to get my car, I'm going to get a rope. 
I'm going to tie the rope round the tree. I'm going to tie it onto the car. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to drive a bit. The tree will come down, and then we'll be able to manoeuvre around, and we'll be able to save the little kitten. Everyone said, Daddy, to the rescue. Daddy gets his car, gets the rope, ties the rope round the tree, ties it onto the car, gets in the car, begins to drive. Slowly, slowly, the tree's bending, bending. The car's moving. As the car moves, as the tree bends, the rope snaps. As the rope snaps, the tree flings back and the little pussycat goes flying in the opposite direction. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> Two weeks later, the pastor is visiting a member of his congregation. He knocks on the door, the door opens, the lady says, Pastor, come in. As he walks in, there in the hallway was his little kitten. He knew it was unmistakable. So he didn't want to say to her, that's my kitten. So he said, that's a lovely little kitten you've got. Have you had her long? She says, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. But it was two weeks ago. It was a hot, sunny Saturday afternoon. And I was in my garden with our little son, Johnny. And Johnny said, Mummy, please, can we have a kitten? And I said, no, we are not having a cat. We've discussed this many, many times. <laughs> We're not going to have a kitten. But pastor, he pestered me and pestered me. The only thing I could think of doing was to say, I'll tell you what, Johnny, let's kneel down here in the garden <laughs> and we'll pray to the Lord Jesus. And if the Lord Jesus wants to give you a kitten, he'll give you a kitten. <laughs> pastor, you are not going to believe this. <laughs> When we pray, coincidences happen. <laughs> when we begin to pray for others, something will come across their path. Something will happen in their lives. Something will shift. And they'll think, geez, it was such a coincidence. You'll never believe what happened to me. Why did that thing happen? Well, because angels have been sent, because you've been praying light into darkness. It's because there's been intercession going on for that person over a period of time. When you begin to pray for somebody, coincidences begin to happen in their lives for their sake of eternity. Now, I want to just round out with giving you some things to pray for those who do not believe. You know, it's quite interesting. I was preparing my message over the weekend. Yesterday I was putting in all the prayers to pray. And I realized, Michael, you are filling this page up with prayers that people can pray for believers. I had to rethink my strategy. I thought I had this one down. I had so many scriptures. I had five references to give you guys. And I realized Paul was praying for the church in all of them. So I had to rethink my whole strategy. Here's what we pray. Number one. We pray that God would open people's hearts to receive the gospel. Acts 16, 14, and I'm giving you, you'll notice today's a lot of scripture. Every point I'm making is being backed up by scripture. Amen? 
so that we can use Scripture and pray according to Scripture because that's the power of God's Word. Acts 16, 14, a certain woman named Lydia, named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of uh, Thyatira. By the way, a wealthy woman who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Pray that their hearts be opened, number one. Number two, pray that God would grant them the gift of faith unto His grace. We all know the verse, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is it? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ask the Lord to give them the gift of faith unto His grace. Pray that for them. Number three, Pray that they encounter other believers who can influence them towards salvation. Turn around with me, please, and read that sign at the back. It says there, every time you leave this church, folks, that sign is above your heads. It says you are now entering the harvest field. And what it says there is, in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest is truly great, the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, when you begin to engage with that prayer, you already become part of the Great Commission. For you are praying that it comes into fruition. And you are praying literally to be a part of it. Two more. Number four. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Pray for an opportunity. Pray for a window. And don't be impatient. Listen to me. Don't try and make the opportunity... Don't try and make the window through craftiness and manipulation. God does not work that way. Amen? Coercion. Pray for a divine opportunity. Colossians 3, 4, 4 verses 3, the first part of the verse. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So I'm giving you more scripture here. Pray that God would give you a window. Open a door so that you would have room to declare that mystery of Christ. Not that the person necessarily gets saved. You're praying for an opportunity to share the truth. And that you leave in Jesus' hands. And number five, once you've prayed for an opportunity to share, you need to pray for yourself again for boldness to share and to act on the unction of the Holy Spirit. Because how many of you have felt that unction and found the door open and you stood at the threshold wiping your feet on the welcome mat. It's okay, I'll stay out here, thank you. No, I don't want to come, I don't want to impose. Acts 4.29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats. They're about to be persecuted, and he says, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Give us boldness, Lord Jesus, that come what may, when the opportunity arises, I will take that opportunity. Amen? Now, last week as I was preaching, I made a, a suggestion, a little, a past, it was a passing comment, but from my perspective, as I looked over the congregation, as I made this passing comment, there were so many heads that nodded as I did, I was a little taken aback by it. It made an impression on me. And my comment was, maybe we should write the names of those we're going to pray for and put them in a basket and pray for them every single Sunday when we come together. 
Some of us choke on the thought of that. <laughs> but for those who can stomach it, I've put together a very simple little form here, and we're going to act on this today. It just says, I, and you write your name in there, am praying for the salvation of, and I've given you six places. You may have more, just write them on the back. You may only have one, it doesn't matter. What I want to do is I just want to pass these around, so just make sure it all gets some, please. Pass down the row, please. Grab one, pass down, grab one, pass down. Judith, don't eat it, you might well choke. <laughs> grab, pass down. Make sure we all get some. I think you might need some more. There we go. There you go. This is not a form that needs to be submitted as, uh, 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 you know, application or a membership application. You see here we have the hovering basket. I got a call from Helen in the week. Why is there a basket hovering in the middle of the church? I said, wow, that's impressive. And what I'd like you to do is find somebody next to you who's got a pen. And if there is someone on your heart, remember last week we left here saying, pray for someone. Begin praying for somebody. Put somebody in your heart and mind and begin to pray for them. Can I have my pen, please? I think a lot of people are going to need it. Yes, there's more forms. Oh, gosh. I've lost my pen. There we go. There's more forms. We need more forms. Where do we need more forms? Fantastic. Go for it. Do we need more forms that side? And folks, this is, uh, this is a great way to put our faith into action. This is a great, great way, listen to me here, to be humble and meek. And to say, right, Father, I want to respond to this word. And so I am committing, I, Michael, how do you spell that? Morris. Yes, sir. You may take some time to pray. This, you weren't here last week, so you get an extra week. For everybody else, you can pray. You don't have to submit it today, but I want you to know that this basket is going to be situated there. And what if somebody looks at my slip and sees my name and sees who I'm praying for? Great. Let them read it and let them pray along with you. This is not something to be ashamed about. This is something to rejoice in. And the hope is that in a, in, in a little bit of short space of time, somebody is going to have to come and take their slip out of the basket and say, I need to scratch a name off this, and I want to testify what the Lord has done. And so I want to encourage you. I'm not going to put mine in right now. I will put it in a little bit later. For the, just to, otherwise, you're going to sit and watch me writing. There's no point in that. You don't have to do it straight away at this moment. You may take time. That basket's going to be there. Maybe you're going to meet somebody this week that the Lord's going to ask you to pray for. Come right out a new slip. The slips will be there with the basket. But this is for us to take a moment and say, Father, for this person, I am willing to commit myself to prayer. That does not, whether that's every day, whether that's two or three times a week, what Paul says very often, I pray for you at every remembrance of you. And that's what I believe the Lord would call us to. That at every remembrance of this person, we would say, Father, I want to pray for this person. So for those of you who are ready and have managed to put a name down, fold your page and come pop it in the basket. In fact, I'll pass it around for a moment. I just want to give a chance for those who are finished to put the names in the basket. And so that together we can pray for them as a church. 
We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.